You're listening to The Bridge, a podcast on stories of courage, resilience, and innovation with me, Linda Fadrizi Williams, the president of Central Penn College. Welcome to The Bridge, a podcast all about resiliency and overcoming obstacles. I'm your host, Dr. Linda Fadrizi Williams, the president of Central Penn College. On today's podcast, we will be speaking to the chief operating officer of UPMC Central Pennsylvania, Mr. Lou Baverso. Baverso was integral in the creation of a strategic partnership between UPMC and Central Penn College, whereby students who successfully complete the program and are hired by UPMC will receive payments equivalent to the full cost of the program in addition to their salary. In addition, UPMC has begun offering a similar initiative for students seeking careers in the fields of medical assisting and phlebotomy. Before coming to Central PA in July 2019, Lou served as Vice President of Operations at UPMC Presbyterian Shadyside in Pittsburgh, which has consistently been ranked among the top hospitals in the state and the nation. Baverso has also served in a wide range of leadership roles in UPMC, including Vice President of Operations and Chief Information Officer at UPMC McGee Women's Hospitals. Baverso also strongly believes in being a lifelong learner, holding several degrees. He has a Bachelor of Science in Information Science from the University of Pittsburgh, a Master of Science in Information System Management from Robert Morris University, and a Master of Business Administration from Chatham University. Baverso is married to his wife, Susan, and has a 30-year-old daughter, Haley. In today's episode with Lou Baverso, we will talk more about his experience in healthcare since the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic and the UPMC's Central Penn Partnership. Please welcome Lou Baverso. All right, we're going to switch gears. Okay. So you're married to Susan. Mm -hmm. Is your wife. How long have you been married? Well, it's a funny story. So we've been together for 20 years. Okay. <laughs> um, but we've only been married for five. Uh, I guess I was really? a little slow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you were together. So you've been together for 20. So you were together for 15 years before you finally mm-hmm. married her? It is. It's a true story. We had a lot of other <laughs> things we were doing in between. Oh, man. Well, that's that's a dedicated woman that's right, right there then. We're, we're a very good couple. And you have a daughter mm-hmm. as well. Yep. So Haley is Susan's daughter and my stepdaughter. Okay. Okay. And um, she's 30. Um, so I guess she's not a child anymore, but don't tell yeah, her. Still, <laughs> she's your child. That's right. I don't think that changes. No, it never does. Um, and she's still in Pittsburgh. Okay, so so you definitely have a reason then. That's to, right. That's part of the reason that you go back to, back to Pittsburgh. So uh, we talked a little bit about this before. When you're in a demanding position, even when you're, you're in a new position or a, a position that requires you to be at work a lot, how do you manage your time and priorities between your job and and your family. Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, first it's not, uh, you have to set some boundaries, yeah. right? I mean, otherwise uh, you just you give up one Absolutely. or the other and nobody wants to do that. Yeah. I tend to have to step back every so often and reevaluate are my boundaries right? Um, and do I need to adjust them? Time management has become extremely important. Yeah. Um, particularly, you know, here there are seven facilities, and so you're trying to get from one to the other, uh, and you know, really trying to set the priorities. And I've really had to learn the skill set of delegation, yeah. uh, and that's a harder one. It right? is. Time management seemed easy compared to delegation, well, especially when you're someone who's very used to doing all aspects of a job. That's right. Yeah. I've also learned that I have to give. For each new role that I've had, mm-hmm. I've had to adjust to give myself enough time to actually learn the role. 
right? Yeah. Um, so you think you know what a hospital president is until you until are you're one, in it. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's very true. Um, and sometimes it's hard for us to give ourselves enough time to actually feel like we have to learn the job. Uh, and so uh, I learned that the hard way when I changed one career to another, um, going from IT to operations. Uh, and I kept that learning with me and tried to uh, kind of give that to anyone that I've talked to about how did you switch from one yeah. place to another. We're always a little harder on ourselves. Absolutely. Because we think we should know it sooner <laughs> right. or that we should know it going in even having never done it. And so that's that's always something that's difficult. Do you think there was a particular time in your life where the struggle between a personal life and and a job was at its height? Yeah, I think there are a couple moments probably in my career where I struggled with it. Am I doing the right thing? Yeah. And am I not paying enough time and attention to things outside of work? Um, right. And again, I think, you know, I reevaluate that pretty often. Um, each of these jobs becomes more demanding in some yeah. ways. And, you know, the job I'm in now really requires a lot of after hours, you know, dinners or presentations or things along those lines. And so it's a balance of how do I make sure that I'm not giving too much of me yeah. uh, all day and all evening. Yeah, that's really that's really difficult. I think in these roles in particular, when, when you hit that, that VP role and especially the president role, you want to be there for as much as you can, right? And you, you try to you try to go to all these events and you try to be there for people. But if you don't set boundaries, you can very easily fall into a trap where yeah. you are just, you're going nonstop. And there was, especially when I was first in this role, I'd be starting at like 7.15, I'd be here in the morning. And then there'd be events that started at six and I wouldn't go home in between. And then I, and then I thought to myself, like, why am I doing that? I could come in later on those days and I can limit the a, a number of events. So you're right. And in your role, everybody wants to meet you, see you, have a meeting with you. Do you like limit how many nights per week or how many weekends per month? I mean, are your boundaries like that strict? Yeah, I try, right? I yeah. mean, because, you know, I'm the probably the kind of person that would just say yes. Uh, and so I have tried to limit like two or three a week, right? Yeah. Um, I only do Same. one a weekend in a month unless mm -hmm. it's something that's really important. That you have to, right. Uh, I actually learned that. I know we'll talk about COVID later, but I really learned that lesson yeah. in COVID um, because we didn't stop. Uh, right. Oh, yeah. They were was, seven days a week bad. of um, either in, on calls in the hospital uh, doing other things. And so you could, after two years of that, you really can find yourself in a burnout state. Yeah. And so I think everybody learned that they had to step back a little bit. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. Um, words of wisdom for our students. So, so let me tell you, our students, 93% of them work while going to college and that's that's even the residential students the majority of them have jobs so what advice could you give them that you've learned over the years when they're either creating boundaries about what it's like to work i mean you were working in high school even though it's a family business you you had to learn pretty early on how to sort of balance your studies and and working at the same time and some of our students have families 60 percent have children what advice do you have for them so the first thing is, is that everything's individual, right? So yeah. you got to figure out kind of what works for you. I also think that I, if I had to redo it all again, I don't know that I would change it working through while I went to school. Uh, I think it gave me a different perspective. Yeah. Um, not that if you're fortunate enough to not have to do that, you don't. Wonderful. Um, but I think, you know, having to figure out time management was actually something that I learned probably by working school. 
to mm-hmm. your point. I got to get this assignment done. I've got to figure out how to get to work, and I've got to make sure that I do it in a way that I get a passing grade in right. this class, right? right. Um, because it, you know, time is money, and and that is important. Yeah. Um, so you know, I think you know, again, looking inside to your own uh, schedule to say what can I realistically do. Um, and what are the things that I might have to give up? And there are sacrifices that I think that everybody makes when they do this. And I think you have to know what your own willingness to sacrifice mm. is. I've seen a number of folks that have tried to be overly social, overly committed to work and um, burning themselves out until two or three in the morning yeah. trying to finish the paper that yeah. was due. Right. And that's not a good way to do this. Well, uh, you won't sustain yourself. That's right. Yeah. And talking about resiliency, it's like I often tell students, you don't have to be the best and the smartest and the strongest. You have to be the one that doesn't give up and, right. and stays in the game. I, I almost I, I laugh a little bit to even ask you this, but you talked about like balancing your time between like your job and your family. Do you take time for yourself? Do you do things that fill your cup or hobbies or anything that you're interested in so that it's not all about obligations? Yeah, I do. I, um, so three days a week, um, I go to the gym because uh, okay. it's a quiet time or I'll yeah. leave my phone somewhere. I try to swim a couple Good. Uh, days a week, um, either in the morning or the evening, alternatively. And, you know, I used to, uh, and I need to get back to it, I used to get a, a two-hour massage um, at least twice a month yeah. because um, that moment of quiet oh, is yeah. like a recharging moment for Agreed. me. Agreed. Good. Yeah. Get back into it, especially yeah, before September. <laughs> <Yeah>. Okay. <Yeah. laughs> That's right. what I'm going to give you as advice. There you go. I'll take that advice. <laughs> At UPMC, we're pioneering new treatments for cancer, and we're researching ways to prevent it. We're advancing new technology to find disease earlier and discovering answers to get you back on your feet faster. We're a global team of more than 90,000, advancing care everywhere and delivering it closer to you right here in central Pennsylvania. UPMC, life-changing medicine. Visit upmc.com slash advancingcarecpa. talk about COVID, which I'm sure you're, you just, you hear it and you want to just shake your head, but tell me the first time you heard the word COVID. Yeah. So distinctly, I remember it being, um, February, right around February 14th. Uh, you know, if we go back in time, that's right around the time when the first U S um, case, um, you know, kind of presented itself and, uh, I can remember being on a conference call and the team that was discussing what was happening um, said, if we could just get past February 14th, we'll, we think we'll be okay. Ooh. And, and um, you know, it's like one of those, you know, defining moments that you, you won't, rem- won't forget. Yeah, yeah. Um, right. And, uh, and so I remember that. And then going into March um, of that year was just like where everything shut down. And I mean, in a lifetime, we've never experienced anything like this. Ever. Um, and so it, it is a life-defining moment um, that I won't forget. And and I, I can't even imagine. I know how hard it was working here during the pandemic. I cannot imagine what it was like trying to be the chief operating officer during a pandemic when literally your staff were watching people die and you were watching people leave the industry altogether. How, how did you make it through those those couple of years? And I know we're not out of it. I know COVID is still here, but it's managed. 
That's right. Um, so, you know, I will say first and foremost, um, we were pretty blessed with the staff that we had. Yeah. And, and early on, it, it was their rally that really made this job so much easier, right? Good. Um, people did a different job every day. Um, regardless of what they were trained to do. Mm-hmm. And you really saw a team develop um, very strongly across a hospital, not just within a specific right. unit that they right. worked. So, you know, everyone was hopeful. I think in the beginning it was going to be short, yeah. right? We were looking at all of these predictions of how far we would get, um, and it changed. Um, so, you know, uh, the biggest challenge had was communication. I mean, early yeah. on things changed not daily, hourly. Oh, it was constant. Right? And so making sure people had the right information and every time we changed that piece of information and in a, in a system like UPMC, we were changing it across 40 hospitals right. at one time. So right. uh, it was um, it was a lesson in organization and communication um, right. for sure. Uh, but really the, the people that work, um, that are dedicated to um, healthcare, that come in every day, that did this job, that saw... Um, so many sick people. Mm. I mean, you can't say thank you enough to no, them and you I can't agree. even begin to explain what they have been through. Right. And I think that's a large part of why we started to see people leave the industry, right? It just got to be too much. Sure. And so as we rebuild, um, you know, kind of our workforce, it's really about how do we, you know, rebuild resiliency within our workforce in a very different way. Again, going back to I can remember my mom leaving in the morning and coming home late in the evening and a 12-hour or 14-hour day was just what she did as a nurse. And maybe we need to think that differently now. They need to be shorter shifts. They need to have some difference um, in what they do uh, because it it can be – it could be a lot to ask someone to do these days. No, I, I agree. And I think those are the kind of reflections that you can take away from something that was so horrible. Mm -hmm. Um, How do you think healthcare has changed the most since the pandemic? Oh, wow. There's a lot of, um, I think, things that we learned from the pandemic. I think the importance, um, so early on when everything shut down um, and when we opened back up, I don't think people took their health as serious because they were afraid to go out. Right. Right. Um, You didn't know. And so we started to see folks present sicker than they would have pre-pandemic. Right. Um, I think the idea of how we use, obviously, the things we took for granted, perhaps, like masking and other PPE, right, other personal protection equipment, um, and how it became so short. Um, and the supply chain changed so dramatically so right. quickly, right? Um, so the you know the idea of supply and demand. I remember economics, and it's like I'll never need this. I did need I needed economics, yeah, um, yeah. in this pandemic. <laughs> uh, and uh, and then lastly, I think um, for us, it was how important the family is as part of the care team, mm. um, because for a while we weren't letting anyone in the facility if you weren't the patient. Yeah. Um, and that has an, a very strong impact on the patient who is in the bed um, and bringing a family member or a support person into the care with the patient is so important. And so I think we really saw and demonstrated how important that is through this pandemic. That insight is incredible. I have not heard anyone say that, but when you actually step back and you think about when people are in a hospital, how nervous they are and their family members are anxious and not having that connection there, yeah, that's... That's great insight. So thank you. And obviously, 
a main reason for the staffing shortages. We talked about it. It's the burnout. I mean, it's it's the burnout of people in those fields and, and having to reexamine some of those hours and, and what it looks like. Our partnership with you is so unique um, with the college and UPMC. We're offering an opportunity to get in on the ground floor with UPMC and our region. Tell us a little bit about and I know you and I have been talking for three years, but how do we, you have a need for people and we have a need to get our graduates placed. So what was it? And you, and I need to thank you, Lou, because you were one of the first people to be like, yes, these are, these are the types of partnerships we need to have because we need to be getting more people into our hospital. So talk a little bit about our program and I could chime in too. And then also like how we can get students involved. Yeah. So I think, um, you know, I was thrilled to have this partnership. Uh, there was no doubt about that. I was thrilled to find someone that wanted to venture into something maybe they hadn't done for a while or yeah. that uh, perhaps, you know, didn't fit their traditional need. Um, and again, I'm not traditional, right? Think yeah. about where I came from right. and how I got here. I was so. a radio DJ and I'm a college president now. So you're quite good at this, well, I have thanks. to say. <laughs> I appreciate that. But look at us, right? That's like right. we didn't start out with these roles. That's right. And so, um, you know, the Surge Tech program, uh, you know, one of the things that we saw, um, again, early on through before the pandemic, it, it really started to happen and it really got uh, amplified uh, through the pandemic. The need for other non-nursing type mm-hmm. roles, right? And the surge tech um, is extremely important um, in any operating room case. And um, they're really kind of the engine um, that yeah. makes the case uh, and the physician very successful. Uh, and so we were finding that folks weren't entering into that career in the same yeah. pace that they had before. And so I think, you know, finding a program like uh, or a place like Central Penn College that had a program that could reignite the program and, and was looking for the partner to do that, I think that just made this relationship uh, click uh, very easily. And I think that we have had a good history um, yeah. prior to that of making things work. And so I think, you know, we're excited to see our first class come out. Um, we're excited to offer those folks employment opportunities. Uh, and I think that it's just the beginning of what we can do in this region. Um, and this is, you know, something that um, I have tried to make very regionally focused, not that my colleagues on the western side of the state aren't trying to do the same thing. Right. But we need to take care of our community and the folks that are in our community. That's and right. there's no better workforce to do that with than those that are in the community. And I think that's what was so appealing to all of you is that our students stay local. That's right. They don't move out of the region. They're they're cho- even if they're online students, they're choosing us because they want a college in their backyard. So that's something that's exciting. And actually, your chief nursing operator, Sue Com, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. was a graduate of that's Central right. Penn College. She actually just received our honorary doctorate award at our commencement this year. And you and Sue together are part of the reason we brought back the surgical tech program. It was on our books in the 80s. We haven't had it since. And when we heard of your need, we luckily have an outstanding provost, Ed Dean, who wrote that program and brought it back up to speed. So we're thrilled. Yeah, that's great. I'm, I'm a little jealous of Sue's honorary doctorate, but that's okay. Listen, there's still time. <laughs> You're going to be a president soon, so yeah, there you go. <laughs> that might happen. Um, and we are also expanding that same partnership with UPMC to appeal to medical assisting and phlebotomy sure. students, two major fields that have need. And and we hear it from other systems as well in doctor's office. There seems to be this endless need for medical assistance and phlebotomists. What is it about a medical assistant that is so desirable? 
Yeah. So, I mean, again, when you think about going to your physician's office, I mean, you see a nurse, right? Right. But you have, there's an army of medical assistants, right, that really make the outpatient world work. And the beauty of the medical assistant um, program is, is that it puts your foot in the door, but it yeah. gives you the opportunity, if you so desire, to move through so many other career Very choices, true. right? A lot of our M- medical assistants go on to be uh, nurses mm-hmm. or LPNs, licensed practice nurses. Uh, some go on to the inpatient world to be PCTs or what we call patient care tech. Yeah. Some go to surge tech um, right. and, and some move into other administrative roles within um, within the organization. You know, I'll go back to we're a city, right? You can have right. any job that you really want within that walls of a healthcare institution. And sometimes it's just starting out to figure out what you want to do. Yeah. Well, that's that's exciting. I'm excited to see where our partnerships go together. We're ending the, like the very last part of our podcast. And I'll tell you, so there's something called a speed round. And I do this with each guest. Uh-oh. It's not. It, it it sounds scary. It's not. It's really just not fun. No spelling bees. No, 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 no okay. spelling. I promise. Um, all you have to do is name the top thing that comes to mind. Just okay. five quick things. Okay. So the first is just the top song, group, artist, station, podcast that is most frequently played for you right now. Uh, so it's probably hits one on Alexa because oh. I can say it and she plays it. <laughs> you listen to hits one. I listen to a lot of different music. Look at you listening to top forty I music. Do. I listen to R and B. I listen to rap. I listen to country. I'm a well-rounded. Me too, except country, uh, which I know I like is a like little the country. number one format, but I just can't <laughs> get into it. All right, number two, dog or cat? Uh, dog. Unanimous up to this point. We have never had a podcaster say. Cat. Oh, I have three cats. What do you? Oh, you have three cats. <laughs> I have three cats and a dog. What's your dog? What kind? What breed is your dog? A Maltese. Oh, okay. Who's like a cat? And you'd pick the dog over those three cats. There's good a good you, reason. Lou. I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, number three. Best thing that happened to you this month? I think it's I got promoted. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good answer. Uh, good answer. All right. Four. Favorite beverage? Water. Water. That's good. That's healthy. All right, number five, best piece of advice for Central Penn College students? Oh, be an explorer. I mean, I I really believe that. You don't always have to do what you started out to do. Very good, Lou. Thanks so much. This has been a pleasure. Thank you. I hope it was fun for your first podcast. It was very fun. Come back one day. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Bridge, hosted by Central Penn College President Linda Fadrizzi-Williams. If you enjoyed this episode, please give it a great rating on your favorite podcast service. The Bridge is available on Apple iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Podcasts. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss future episodes of The Bridge, stories of resilience, courage, and innovation with Dr. Linda Fadrizzi-Williams. We'll see you next time. UPMC, UPMC Pinnacle Foundation, and Central Penn College are working together once again to develop the next generation of healthcare professionals in the region. In February 2022, they rolled out an innovative surgical technician program in which students who successfully complete the program and are hired by UPMC will receive payments equivalent to the full cost of the program in addition to their salary. 
Now, the three organizations are offering a similar initiative for students seeking careers in the fields of medical assisting and phlebotomy. As part of this initiative, Central Penn College will offer a new 12-month, 30-credit medical assisting diploma program that requires students to attend full-time, in-person classes on the Somerdale campus. The Phlebotomy Technician Certificate is an existing nine-month part-time program that includes a mix of online and in-person classes. Through an innovative combination of funding from UPMC, Central Penn College, and UPMC Pinnacle Foundation, program graduates who work at UPMC will receive payments in addition to their salaries equivalent to the cost of the programs. Students must complete at least two years of the work requirement at UPMC facilities in the Central PA region. Central Penn College is making the CPC Housing Scholarship, valued at $5,800 a year, available to all qualifying medical assisting enrollees who attend full-time. Students in the part-time phlebotomy technician program are eligible to receive a partial housing scholarship. Phlebotomy is a burgeoning healthcare field. Jobs for phlebotomists and phlebotomy technicians are expected to grow 22% through 2030, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Jobs in medical assisting are expected to grow 19% through 2029, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. For a full list of requirements, visit www.centralpen.edu slash UPMC.